Hey, it's Justin Moore, host of Creator Debates. Got another bonus episode for you today. Um, so this past weekend, uh, I got back from a weekend getaway in Napa Valley with my wife, uh, where we celebrated our 12-year wedding anniversary, if you can believe it. Um, I was lying in our bed, and uh, April said, look, there's a there's a raccoon climbing up, up the tree outside our room. And sure enough, he kind of like lazily plopped himself down and proceeded to to sleep for about 30 minutes on like a long branch uh, in the shade. And since we're dorks, we then Googled like, what does it mean when you see a raccoon to see the spiritual meaning? And apparently uh, raccoons are considered spirit animals and messengers that can provide guidance and lessons to help us navigate our lives. Um, the spiritual meaning of a seeing a raccoon is often associated with curiosity, adaptability, resourcefulness, and a reminder to stay true to oneself. And that that felt pretty appropriate because uh, April and I have been forced to uh, adapt to absolutely massive swings uh, in our income sources over the last 10 years as full-time creators. But it's made us extremely uh, resilient at the height of our YouTube popularity around, you know, maybe 2015. We were making like $25,000 per month just on AdSense. But I was absolutely convinced that we needed to diversify uh, in case those check sizes ever went down. Spoiler, they did, <laughs> which is why around that time we started taking sponsorships a lot more seriously. And if there's one thing that I've learned over the past decade, uh, consistent, well-paying sponsorships don't happen by accident. You might get a, you know, a few exciting emails once in a while, but you know, turning these uh, into a predictable and lucrative stream of income requires a totally different approach. And it's also tricky if you make money in other ways like digital products and merch uh, or maybe affiliate marketing. Um, and so is it even worth devoting your attention to sponsorships? And so to answer that question today, I've got a new public coaching call with a creator who was struggling with that very question. Before we get started with this episode, I'm curious, are you looking to land more brand partnerships? Because I have a free weekly report that's gonna get you paid. The Creator Wizard newsletter will help you find which brands and companies are sponsoring creators, pitch more effectively, get paid more money on each partnership, and immediately get better looking and tell funnier jokes, probably. Join 30,000 creators and sign up at creatorwizard.com slash join. That's creatorwizard.com slash join. I have no idea. I've never done it before. I don't know what to charge. I don't know what to offer. Help me. That's Rich. He's a creator just like you. But like a lot of creators who are only getting sponsorship opportunities here and there, he's wondering, is the next step going all in on this? See, here's the problem. Consistent, well-paying sponsorships don't happen by accident. You might get a few exciting emails once in a while, but turning these into a predictable and lucrative stream of income requires a different approach. And you might feel that it's just not worth devoting your attention to sponsorships yet. But that's why I'm taking you inside the real negotiations between rich and multiple brands. I'm gonna lay out the simple strategies that'll turn sponsorships and brand deals into your fattest stack. That's what the kids say these days, right? So by the end of this, you'll know whether CPM-based sponsorships are a good idea, how to calculate your rates for additional rights, such as whitelisting, and how to turn an okay sponsorship opportunity into a long-term relationship that's gonna net you thousands. The biggest mistake that I think a lot of creators make when they're trying to reach out and forge these types of partnerships is I'm Rich Webster. I have been running a solo design agency for the last 10 years. 
And in the last two years, I started building an audience online, sharing what I learned, kind of teaching my work philosophy and my systems. And I ended up building a pretty large audience on Instagram and a couple of other platforms. And that turned into a cohort-based course. My thing is I teach people how to work less and how to build systems in their business and kind of design themselves out of the day-to-day operations of their business. Because probably the most important piece of information about my agency is that it makes half a million dollars a year and I only work about 10 hours a week running it. Wow. So that's kind of the hook. And uh, I just kind of started posting on Instagram, sharing my story and people really resonated with it. And two years later, I've got like 250,000 followers on IG and uh, another business. So yeah, yeah. I ended up here. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Uh, Well, congratulations. First of all, that's incredible. Does sponsorship sponsorships currently play a, a significant role in your business or like, is that something you've only recently started to dabble with or, or what? Yeah, it's interesting. I think kind of why I came to you and the existential crisis I'm having, I'm really having two (laughs) separate issues. One is the big picture existential crisis. And then the other are some kind of tactical things around two sponsorships that are already in the works slash happening. We'll talk about the existential crisis first. Let's do it, yeah. (laughs) And then I'm I'm sure you'll be able to solve my very practical issues (laughs) promptly. But I think this is an interesting question that a lot of creators maybe run into at some point. Maybe they don't, but for me, I have an audience and in some ways I'm kind of an influencer, but I also have my own business and my own products that I sell to my audience, mainly my cohort-based course. It does about 120K right now. Every time I launch it, I do it three times a year and it's a really good business. And the thing that I'm kind of struggling with right now is how much brand sponsorship to do and whether it makes sense to spend my time (laughs) exposing my audience to brands versus having them focus on me, right? And the things that I offer and the things that are part of my business. And the example I'll give, and I've been talking about this recently kind of with my audience and on my podcast and stuff, is I've really been thinking about dropping my newsletter sponsorship slot, which I've had for a while. I've got 21,000 people on my newsletter And I just have always felt like I don't want the first thing that people to do when they scroll into my newsletter to be to click (laughs) to a link to someone else's business. I am kind of hoping that they'll join me and read what I have to say. And it seems like not in alignment. Now, if I had like an influencer business where that was the only way I made money, it wouldn't be as big of a deal. But because I do have products and, and stuff, I don't know, it's kind of a tough question. Yeah, man, it's so interesting. I it seems like we're we're running parallel lives. We have very similar businesses. It sounds like with yeah. your cohort based course and your newsletter and your uh, Instagram audience and all that stuff. I don't have two hundred fifty k on IG. Maybe maybe soon. Hopefully soon. Um, but uh, but uh, very fascinating. So let's talk about this from the most purest sense. Okay. I imagine when you got into this, like whether it was creating the Instagram, you know, uh, content or the courses or whatever it is, if you're like me, a a lot of it was kind of like, okay, like let's talk about how we can create, you know, some, some, uh, income, right? Like, like monetize this, all these different things I'm doing, the newsletter, the courses, the content and all this stuff too. Right. And so you start to think of the obvious ways in which this could all pull together. One of the challenges with, with that approach is that it oftentimes leaves out arguably the most important factor, which is audience slash customer, right? Because at the end of the day, they're the people who are either going to be 
watching the sponsorship or purchasing the course, right? Um, and so I have this conversation fairly often, I think, with, with creators who are in a similar boat to you, which is they're very concerned about inundating their audience or their customers with other people's products. And, and it, by the way, it's not just related to like, followers on social media, this also becomes a challenge with like, let's say you are primarily a course business or you have a community or a membership or something. You're concerned with like doing too many affiliate partnerships yep. or JVs with other people because you're like, I don't want them to go buy that person's $2,000 program because then they won't have money to buy my like $2,000 <laughs> cohort based course or something. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to answer your existential crisis with a, a very simple mindset shift, I think, which is that these are all scarcity mindset beliefs, right? It's like that there is a fixed pool of money that if someone buys someone else's program, that means they're not going to buy mine. And yes, that may be true for individual people, but on a whole, the business decisions that you make from a mindset of fear is not going to benefit you or your prospective audience slash customer. The way I like to think about it is that how can we craft our business around something that's audience first, that's customer first? And so if we think about the psychographics of your, so let, let, let me just throw it back to you. If I asked you, like, what is keeping your audience slash customer up at night? What, what are their biggest challenges? Give me a, a, a few minute story around like your customer persona. Sure. I mean, I think the biggest thing that people struggle with is just managing their business and productivity in general. So more often than not, they come to me because they're like totally burnt out, working too many hours for not enough money. They feel like they've hit this plateau in their business where they're like, okay, I have no, <laughs> there are no more hours to work. I'm maxed out there and there's no more money because I feel like I've hit a ceiling with income. And then what I kind of do is step in and teach them how to start to build systems and delegate and automate to free up that time so that they can go back into their business and, you know, implement things to make more money. So more often than not, they're burnt out and, fr and fried and feel like there's, there's nothing left, you know? So these are small business owners. Yeah, I think everyone that I service tends to be like creative business owners, services, coaches, consultants, stuff like that. More often than not, like 80 to 90% of the time, they are selling a service online. Okay, online. So it's not, not brick and mortar, small businesses, really. Rarely. It's kind of I rarely. mean, it's, it's presented for everyone, but the people that tend to gravitate towards me tend to be people that have businesses like mine. Yeah, interesting. So a couple things here. If we start to look at things from an audience first perspective, feeling burnt out, feeling as though they don't have enough income for themselves at the end of the day, feeling as though they don't have the work-life balance, those are all problems, manifestations of probably larger issues, not necessarily, like that's not their chief like issue probably, right? There's other things that are going on in their, on in their life probably, right? They may, if they do have employees, they may be having challenges with those employees or like hiring people internationally if they're small businesses like I do. You know, I'm wanting to hire people in UK. Like if I wanted to hire someone in Canada full-time, how do I do it? Like all challenges, challenges that a small business owner who is a remote first organization, challenges that they have, right? And so I would argue that those are all problems. The problems I just described are never going to be problems that you are going to solve with any products that you directly sell or own. 100%. Right? I'm you're never, very gonna, limited with what I offer. Yeah. You're never going to broach that territory, right? <laughs> yeah. And so doing sponsorships for products like that, that are not in direct competition with you, but are 
legitimately solving problems in your audience's life is only going to engender trust, integrity, and a deeper connection with your audience slash customer. And so if you think about your, your, your customers or your clients on a continuum, right, you probably have people of, of all sorts in your audience. You've got people who don't even have businesses. You've got people who've just started your business. You've got your ideal customer who's the people like, you know, they're five years into it and they're feeling burnt out or whatever. And then you've got the people who are at the tail end of their career and they want maybe want to sell their business and like they're, how right. do they figure out retirement and all, all that stuff. Right. And so you've got all these different people in your audiences. So you've chosen to like cater to a, a, a band of that, of those customers, which is good. But there are probably lots of other people in your audience that we just discussed who you could capably serve in other ways that aren't related to the products that you're directly selling, i.e. probably sponsorships that could serve them. I just think that it's like a really important thing to realize that it's not an either or, it's an and. And when you start to think, okay, like, let me do some psychographic research on my on my audience. Let me ask them questions. Let me see what's keeping them up at night. What brands, services, and products are you using and loving right now? Oh, you don't have a bookkeeping software? Well, let me go out there and let me pitch FreshBooks mm-hmm. or, or, some, or some tool like that that could, I, be, I bet you could think of a pretty easy integration with like a tool like that sure. into your, into totally, your business, totally. right? So I'm going to pause there because I I think that I know that you probably know that in theory. Um, It's just a matter of like, how do you make that decision for yourself in your business is this is the sense that I'm getting from your facial expressions. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, this is exactly the question that I'm having right now. And I think the larger issue is I'm basically running a lifestyle business. I don't work (laughs) a ton. And when I think about all the different things that I can do over the course of a week or a month or a year, I only have so many hours that I can devote to each part of my business. And early on, I was really reticent to do too much sponsored stuff because like the ROI wasn't there. You know, when I had 10,000 Instagram followers, I would be lucky to get like 350 bucks for a post or something. And now I'm at the point where the checks are becoming significant. The last sponsored post I did, I got $20,000. So that's all of a sudden, okay, this is competing in terms of my attention with the main product because it's it's starting to get up there in revenue. So previously, if I was saying, all right, I'm only working 20 hours a week, do I want to spend five of them you know, chasing down more sponsors or building relationships with brands or all of the production that comes along with it, right? Because it's not just like cut the check and you're done. You have to right. be creative and make sure you deliver on the deal. So that's where I kind of am right now. I'm like, can this be, if I'm going to be focused on like two streams of income, is this number two or is number two something within my business that is a product that doesn't exist yet? So I, if I were you, um, the way I've always looked at, at this is that, you know, I been on social media for almost 15 years now. Right. And I have seen our fortunes rise and fall really significantly, very quickly. Right. Like at one point we were doing $25,000 a month in AdSense on YouTube, like our, when mm. at the height of our YouTube channels when we were killing it. Right. Um, but I thankfully had the foresight to realize like, this is, this can't, this is not, this, this can't continue forever. Like that, you right. know, there's, there is a, a point at which this viewership is going to subside or people aren't going to want to watch as much as much, or we're not going to be able to command the sponsorship checks that we are right now because of the viewership and all this stuff too. Right. And so it's as much of a decision 
decision about what do you want to do now as it is a decision about your future. And so, yeah, your cohort may course may be doing really great right now. Um, and of course, I hope that continues, but it's possible that how, how many times you've run the cohort, by the way? Uh, this will be the fifth time in okay, September. So fifth tide. So let's say you fast forward to cohort 10 and you're not doing 120K every time. You've, you've realized that you've penetrated pretty far into your audience of newsletter people or you know, people on Instagram, uh, let, let, let's just say you don't grow, right? You don't grow getting yep. more Instagram, you get, right? So you, you you penetrate further and further into that audience and now your launches are more like 60K or 80K or 25K or whatever. I mean, hopefully not obviously, but like that's a, yeah, that's yeah. a scenario that you should game. Sure. Right, you game it out, right? And so in my view, the question isn't like, like, should I do it now? Like, probably, yeah, you should dabble in it, but like, clearly you're making good money on the cohorts, but like, it's about diversifying the business generally. And I understand that like your whole shtick, like <laughs> no offense by that, but like your shtick is like working less, right? It's like no yeah. working smarter, not harder, right? And I get that, I respect that. But part of working smarter, not harder is realizing that I should be looking to see where the ball could potentially go. I'm hoping that the lines keep going up, but while everything's going really well right now, it probably behooves me to diversify my businesses with other revenue streams that yeah, they may be a little bit more work, more legwork, more back and forth with the brand than these other things here. Um, but boy, I'm sure going to be glad to have those if this other really large revenue stream for some reason withers out down the line. And, and by the way, it's not just digital products and sponsorships. Maybe affiliate marketing is, is part of that calculus as well. You know, so you start, okay, I'm a, you, you create a strategy for the next like 12 months. I'm going to go out and try and forge some, some JVs, some affiliate partnerships with other course creators, communities who I think are really good compliments to me. Like that's a strategy, something that you concertedly do. And so in my mind, like it's not the fact that the check sizes are increasing, like that's good, that, but that's obvious as your audience grows. It's about having a diversified business and ensuring that you're able to obviously like live the life that you want. I'm not saying don't do that, but I'm saying like, it makes sense. If, if it was me, if I was in your shoes, that's where my head would be right now. It's not, yeah, it's probably gonna be a little bit more work, but worth it in the end. Yeah, no, that's great. I think the issue I'm thinking about is I'm happy to receive unsolicited requests for paying me money to promote services. You know, if it's in, if it's in yeah. alignment with, with my audience, I, I'm not going to take anything that comes down. And a lot of them, I would never, never say yes to, but I've been pretty good so far. I mean, people kind of tag me in the productivity niche and there's a lot of money there specifically software, like, you know, notebooks, brands, <coughs> no shit, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Hit, hit, hit rich up. Yeah. Yeah. Hit me up. Um, so that's the thing is like, is the next step going all in on this? And what does it look like to build a proactive system as opposed to a reactive system? Because yeah. I have a proactive system for my thing, um, but I really just have like these requests come in. I say yes, if they're a good fit. And now it's like, okay, if I could do five of these 20, 20 grand posts every month or two, that's as much as my cohort makes. Mm -hmm. And then that mm -hmm. becomes like my attention. I'm interested now, you know? <laughs> So welcome to my arena, okay? Because this is <laughs> this is what I love pulling the wool over or you know, taking the cloth off of people's eyes and realizing like you can make a lot of money like working with yeah, brands man. and working with sponsors for the right um for the right relationship. And so I have I have two pieces of advice for you with respect to this. If you're content fielding the inbound opportunities and they're a healthy supplement 
to your other revenue streams, then just keep it rolling. Like I, I wouldn't exert too much headspace to, you know, if, especially if it feels like ugh, to you to like want to do that and, and spend time doing that and nurturing the relationships. I'm never going to be the person to like force you to do that. Like, of course, like that's fine. Like those, those will always be just, you know, extra dollars in the bank account, which is, which is great. But really what I teach is that regardless of, of where you're at, regardless of how many followers you have or how big your audience is or how much money you're making or whatever, it's like any good business owner has to supplement these inbound opportunities, you, you know, mm-hmm. like even a small business owner can appreciate this. There may be someone who just walks through your door who you've never interacted with, you never knew, and they just say, hey, I want to become your best customer. Here's 10 grand or, or something like that, right? Like there's, you know, probably folks in your audience who can relate with stuff like that happens, but that's not something you can predict. That's not something you yep. can forecast, right? And so it's the same with sponsorships. It's that, yeah, there's great opportunities that come inbound, but you have to create a predictable outbound strategy if you want this to be a core part of your business. And it's not just about pitching brands cold all the time. Like that's a part of it when you're starting out, but like what it actually becomes is a nurturing process. Cause once you've established the relationships, it's just about staying top of mind. And, and I'm sure there's like probably a concentrated like core group of like brands, tools, services, software programs, you know, that you would be like, okay, these are like my 30 to 50, I don't know, maybe less like core partners that I would love to. And, and so my, my goal over the next like 12 to 18 months is just like forge relationships with all these people and then maintain mm-hmm. them, put them onto autopilot. I have a nurturing system where every month I go and I'm like sending them articles that are relevant to them, or I'm, you know, pitching ideas to them or whatever. And it's not that big of a lift. You, you put it into your own productivity system or whatever that is. And you'll be like, okay, this is just like part of what I do because it helps me keep the lights on. It helps me maintain this lifestyle business that I, that I love. And you just, it, it serves a, an end basically. Right. And so again, like that there's, those are the, I think it's these, it's, it's these two scenarios. I believe that I always like to be more in control of my outcomes. That's just my personality. I never like feeling like I'm just going to sit on my hands and wait for like opportunities to come to me. Um, mm-hmm. So, so at, at the end of the day, and, and again, like I want to draw some parallels. I'm going to throw it back to you. Like there's probably a lot of legwork that you did getting that course off the ground too. I would imagine. For sure. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. And so it was like, you did a, a big period of intensity where you were like trying to hype it up and, you know, you did all this stuff, but now you're, you know, you're kind of getting onto autopilot. You've got the material done. You've got the collateral. You've got the email sequences. I'm, I'm making this up. I don't know, but I'm assuming, right? Yeah, it's pretty close. Um, yeah. Right. And so, and so it basically in my mind would be the same with a mm-hmm. sponsorship strategy. It's like, okay, I'm going to do the similar thing. I'm going to figure out my outreach strategies. I'm going to AB test all my, you know, I'm going to get these relationships done. And then I'm going to basically get into this kind of nurturing autopilot mode. And that's going to take about two years. But like, once I get there, it's going to be pretty sweet. All right. So you've sold me <laughs> on <laughs> the, the limiting belief around not inundating my audience with advertisements and stuff. I'm sold on that. Now you need to sell me on the financial side of things. Okay. By the way, if you want me to help you personally with your next sponsorship negotiation, you can book a public call with me and appear in a future video like this by clicking the link below. Realistically, I mean, I can give you some information about my audience. You kind of already know. I've got 260,000 Instagram followers, 21,000 person newsletter, plus a smattering of 10K audiences on other miscellaneous platforms. What can, what can I expect? (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm in the productivity business niche. I've generally worked with like SaaS companies and physical products for the most part. I just want to know the ballpark, you know? (laughs) 
<laughs> I know you can't give me an exact number, but I know you've worked with a ton of creators and you I probably have. have a sense of like what the ranges are. And listen, if I get into it, I'm a shark. I've been running an agency for 10 years. Like I know how to make money and ask for money and all that stuff. But I just need to know, like, what am I getting into? Directionally here. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So, so this is specifically related to your niche which is business, which is productivity, services, SaaS, et cetera. And I, I, after this, I want to talk about like compensation, I, like ideas in terms of various things to pitch, but um, like half a million easy a year. Got it. I mean, cool. easy. Um, that sounds good. That's, yeah. my, that's, that's in my yeah. ballpark. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, when you think about the pool of available resources for let's say SaaS companies to tap into, to create content, to do partnerships with, to do joint webinars with, to like create, cause like a lot of people like fixate on consumer brands. They think like, oh, influencer marketing, that's consumer brands. It's like, you know, I'm gonna, you know, like sell this pen or what, you know, it's like this type of idea, right? But like B2B companies, SaaS companies are just as desperate as consumer brands to like, have good content to do partnerships to talk about stuff on social media to talk about stuff in their newsletter on LinkedIn on their you know website etc cetera, etc cetera, et cetera, right and so there is a much smaller pool of folks like you who could capably talk to their audience who is probably a lot more niche um, and so that's why like I'm I would give a much more aggressive figure of something like half a million easy a year like this is gonna take a while probably to build up to that but like again there's not like a, an infinite supply of people like you for them to partner with and so right. um second thing that I would say also as to why it's way more lucrative is that the compensation structures that SaaS platforms are comfortable agreeing to is way more lucrative than consumer brands hmm. because a lot of these you know, SaaS tools may be hundreds or thousands of dollars a year, and they offer recurring commissions. So there are possibly partnerships that you can enter into with some of these partners that is almost more like a hybrid structure where there's like some sort of base fee that they're paying you for the content creation, all that stuff. But then there's some backend sweetener where you're getting whatever they're offering their normal affiliates, or maybe it's a, you're a super affiliate or, or something like that, where you're getting best of both worlds. And like very quickly you develop a relatively passive income stream on the back end of these sponsorships that you're forging. Right. So nice. like to me, that's another check in the box of like this to be something to do going to your lifestyle design, right? Which is like the whole passive income works, you know, less type idea, um, which mm -hmm. is like, it would take probably going out there, pitching, forging some of these partnerships to be able to pitch these types of right. partnership arrangements with some of these SaaS tools who would be willing to like, compensate you in that way. Cool. Cool. I love it. All right. Talk to me, obviously base plus affiliate. That makes sense to me. What are the other recommended kind of offers? Yeah. So there's three main structures. Obviously it's like affiliate only you've got the hybrid. Yep. So base plus affiliate and then flat the calculus that you should always be doing is twofold or threefold actually. What is the most additive to me financially? Like, what do I, what do I think? Like if, if it's some, a tool that you really believe in that, you know, your audience is going to go crazy for that, you know, they're going to sign up for in droves. Well, then it might make more sense to say, I want 50% commission on every sign up or something or whatever, right. some sort of custom negotiated amount. But you have to know like very firmly that that would like make sense. Right. The high, the hybrid got tools that like, yeah. I, I mean, 
I have no problem <laughs> advertising stuff that I use for free. I've been yeah. talking about plenty of brands because I use them for a long time. And uh, that makes sense. Yeah. And so then the hybrid compensation structures is when you have maybe less certainty over the outcome potentially of like how many people are going to sign up and all that stuff too. But you feel pretty good about it. And you also want to capture uh, the effort <laughs> that it's going to require to actually generate the content, forge the partnership, you know, all that stuff. And then the flat fee are those partnerships where it's more, probably going to be more of a brand awareness play where there's less of a yep. conversion a aspect to it. It's like, okay, they just want to get their name out there, get associated with productivity and business tools and all that stuff too. Um, and it's less of an issue whether or not anyone actually converts and uses it, purchases it, et cetera. The other thing too that I would say is that, again, I, I, I seem to always go back to this idea about audience first. It's like, I want to make sure that whatever partnership I'm forging is also in alignment with them. Is there, as part of this compensation structure, maybe it makes sense for me to try to engineer some sort of hyper incentive for my audience to actually redeem on this now. Like for example, if there's a tool where there's no, like you're getting a good incentive, but the audience isn't, there's no sign up bonus, there's no coupon code, there's no seasonal promotion or whatever, that's probably gonna impact performance, right? And so maybe it makes sense to engineer a compensation structure where you say to them like, hey look, I am willing to give 10% of my compensation or commission or whatever, it was going to be 50, but I'll, I'll, it's okay. I'll actually only take 40%, but I want to be able to give a 10% discount to my audience for signing up. Got it. Or something nice. like that. And Smooth. so, and so something like that is completely aligned, right? Because yeah. your performance is going to be better. You seem like a good guy <laughs> to the brand and to your audience. And the brand is like, wow, like that's never something that I've ever heard anyone ask to do and amend that, but it makes sense because then everything's aligned. Right. Nice. I love it. Okay. That makes sense. And I think that the continuum of conversion with the affiliate model to awareness with the flat is that's really helpful for me um, because I have dabbled with both and, uh, generally found flat. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Well, let me ask you, I don't want to go into the example yet. We'll <laughs> tie this one up with a bow and then we'll go into specifics. You're, you're a true but, content uh, creator. We're like, we're like saving it for last. Like you just gotta, <laughs> we're just increasing that view duration. Let's do this. That's All right. right. That's right. So, um, in the example, um, I recently did was a, a CPM model. So based on views of reels, would you consider that a, like, affiliate is that flat or is that affiliate because it's based on performance strictly i mean i know it's not affiliate because i'm not driving sales yeah so it's it's um more of a brand awareness thing right because what they're caring about is how many people are viewing the asset and they're compensating right. you based on the level of awareness so it's not conversion really because that's not you're not converting anyone to do anything it's it's how many people are you how many eyeballs are you actually able to get on this asset i will very rarely advise people to do cpm based deals unless going back to this whole certainty thing, unless you know with certainty that you can kill it and knock it out of the park and probably make more money on the deal overall than you would have flat. A CPM based deal is completely advantageous to the advertiser, right? Because right. they don't have to pay. If they win no matter what. They win no matter what. <laughs> and you're trivializing um, the level of effort that you have to put out to actually generate the content, right? Which is right. the non-zero amount. Um, and so like that has to be captured somehow. And so that's why, and, and so yes, you may conservatively know that like, okay, even if this video bombs, like it'll probably get 
50K X views amount. or yeah. X amount of views. And I'm like, okay, I'm a, if that's the minimum I make, I'm probably fine with it, right? But like, I just don't like that level of decision-making. I, I think it leaves too much to chance. Um, nice. and, and so I just typically don't advise people to make those types of deals. Sweet. I'll never do it again. Yeah. <laughs> but you're an easy <laughs> student. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, listen. I, it's ironic. The, we'll talk about it. But yeah. the deal did make me a lot of money, but mm-hmm. it, it, it happened to, I knew baseline it was going to do all right. And then it ended up doing insanely well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is all awesome. I'm on board. I am interested in pursuing this since we probably have 30 minutes left. I want to talk about the specifics, but point me in the direction. How do I equip myself with the stuff that I need in order to go out and, and do this? Got it. So have you pitched brands before? Like you'd be the one like reach out pitching something. Has that ever been something you've done? Nope. So, um, first I would say, just take my course. That'll make it easier. Um, I say this in my coaching calls all the time. And the reason I stopped doing them, um, except for people was I would, everything I cover in the course was what 90% of what someone who comes to me for the first time yeah. ends up asking, which is clearly mm-hmm. our situation too, which is great. Yeah. Do you offer, and you know, you could edit this out. Do you <laughs> offer a non-cohort version of your course? I do actually. It's, it's something brand Secret new. Secret back end version. I'm, well, it's actually something I'm experimenting with. Like I, I just released it about maybe a month and a half ago. And so it's a very new addition to my product portfolio, but yeah, it's, it's half the investment. So normally Sweet. the cohort well, send it to is, me. Okay. I'm good for it. All right. All right. Well, that was easiest sales pitch. Okay. Um, so, so yes, all the stuff that you need and right. want is like, Perfect. you know, the templates, the outlines, the strategies, all that stuff too. But what I would like to spend this time talking about though, is more of the psychological aspect around pitching because the biggest mistake that I think a lot of creators make when they're trying to reach out and forge these types of partnerships is making it very you focused, right? It's, Hey, I'm rich. I've got this 250 K Instagram audience. I've got 20 K people on my newsletter. I've got blah, 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 blah. You want to partner with me because I can help your brand reach all these things. So it seems like that's what you should do, right? Because it's like, you want to get them excited about the prospect of, of working with you when in reality, they don't give a crap. They don't know who you are. They just delete your email because they don't know who you are. And then there's lots of people who have 250,000 followers on Instagram. Why should they care? What's in it for them basically. Right. And so shifting from a, you focus, a narcissistic view of, of, of the world. It's how can I help this brand accomplish objectives? Give me, give me a, a dream brand. Give me a, like, if you're in your head, I'm sure you're mulling over. So, okay. I want to reach out. I want to pitch this tool or this brand. Like let, we could walk it through. Let's do a practical example. Yeah. Let's do notion because I literally have a notion component of my course. Okay. And all right. they're not paying me. <laughs> okay. Well, um, first of all, like talking to like unique compensation structures, we can talk about in a little bit, but like you should be trying to figure out how you can get notion to sponsor your course not just your Instagram and all that stuff. So that's a whole other can of worms, um, especially if they're so intimately integrated into your program. Okay, so what is Notion beating the drum about right now? AI, right? Notion AI. Thanks. If I've, if I've, <laughs> yeah, if, I've <laughs> if I've, if I've listened to, cause we're in similar spheres, but like I've heard a bunch of podcasts, a bunch of YouTube integrations over the last couple of months. It's all of the ad reads have been Notion AI, right? And so that better be what you lead with in your pitch. You say, hey, I I talk about in in my program, the rope method, right? R is your pitch has to be relevant to a campaign 
that they're either running right now or they've run in the past. You have to have organic content that you can link to to show that you have affinity, that your audience actually has affinity for their product. P is proof, so you can show you how you've helped other brands achieve results. And E is easy to execute when they respond and say, oh, yeah, actually, let's let's do this. And so R is like, you gotta be saying in the first sentence, I noticed that you know Notion is really trying to spread the word about its AI tools right now. Like that's the first sentence, right? Because yep. it's relevant to them, right? And they're going to think, yes, that is what we're doing right now. Um, and then your next sentence is, I have been teaching, you know, all of my audience members on IG or students in my course or however you want to frame it about this. And then you link a post where you're talking about artificial intelligence so they can see that you are irrelevant to them, right? And that you have a affinity, right? And then you say, I would love to spread the word about notion in the following ways. I can do a newsletter blast. I can do blah, blah, blah. I can do, you know, Instagram posts. I can do this. Um, happy to share details of how I've helped, uh, you know, Tiago Forte. I know not Tiago, but you know, like the, I drove a bunch of uh, blah, 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 you know, for another SaaS tool. Um, yep. you know, are you free on Thursday at 10 a.m. to talk about it? That's the pitch. And so at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's not, it's about this. It's about surmising. What has this brand allocated budget for this quarter or next quarter? That is what you're trying to infer based on the posts that they're making on social media, their blog posts, their LinkedIn activity of their marketing executives. Like that, that's what you have to research before pitching them. And then you reach out because they don't have random buckets of money to pay rich. They have random buckets of money allocated to their own initiatives. And so one of their mm -hmm. big initiatives right now is AI. And so they need to, you need to convince them, hey, you know that 500K that you've marketing budget, you've got allocated for Notion AI? slide 20k of that over to me and I'll integrate that into my program and get more people using it. Nice. Nice. It's a great reframe. I love it. Does that resonate? 100%. 100%. I mean, you as you're aware from our combo, like I'm not I'm I'm not doing any outreach cold or warm at all. It's literally like most of these brands follow me and then someone eventually reaches out and, or they see my posts. And this is a whole, this is a whole new can of worms. One thing I'll, I'll say though, too, which is a really important takeaway from this as well, is that you should be doing this exact same thing, even with inbound opportunities, because when they're reaching out to you, yes, you've, you've passed the initial phase, which is that they think you're a good fit, but yep. you're still in the running with the 10 or 20 other people they reached out to because they're just kicking the tires on your business, Rich. Oftentimes they're not ready to move forward right away. They want to understand, okay, is this person a good fit? We need to, they're probably asking for your demographics. They're probably asking for other information. How much are you charging? Like yada, 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 all these things, right? And so they're qualifying you as well. And so you should be pitching them in the same way, even if it's inbound. So you have to ask them about their marketing objectives. You have to help them when you're submitting your proposal, in response to this inbound inquiry, you're saying, hey, based on your, like this is this is a really important takeaway, which is that a brand might come to you and say, hey, we wanna do one Instagram post on, or one newsletter blast or whatever. And then you say, okay, th yeah, this sounds really cool. Like I'm excited. I think there's a lot of, you know, a lot of great uh, synergy. Tell me about what you're trying to accomplish. What are your objectives, right? You start asking some of these questions. Let's hop on a call. I wanna understand, maybe you can, you know, carve out 30 minutes out of the 10 hours you work a week to get on a phone call with the brand and ask these questions, right? And then you come away from that and you're like, you know what? I know you reached out for an Instagram post, but I actually think it would be, it would move the needle way more for your brand if you had your marketing VP come in and do a guest session in my cohort. Hmm. That's what I think will move the needle for you based on what you just explained to me. And so everything changes about what you pitch and what you propose when you can align it 
with their objectives. Because the other really important thing to understand is that there's a lot of other people like decision makers on their side that you may not even know about, right? So this may be the marketing coordinator that's reaching out or maybe even the agency who represents the the client who's reaching out. And so they still have to go back to their boss or to their client if it's an agency and say, of the 20 people we, re we reached out to, we think Rich is the best fit for the following reason, right? Because, you know, that person is going to maybe get sticker shock. Oh, Rich wants 20K or 40K or whatever it is. Like, why is he a good fit? And then right. that's where this proposal that you give being like, hey, I heard your objective. I'm engaged in the outcome. I'm not just in it for the money. I want you to see the results, whatever it is, awareness, conversions, repurposing content, whatever. And so that's why I'm proposing something that is actually different than what you initially thought. Like that goes so far in helping brands realize like, okay, I know Rich is like twice or three times as much as these other people we're talking to, but it just seems like it's gonna go better because he's more invested in the outcome. Yeah. Nice, dude, this is great because these are like, <laughs> I feel like these are the dark secrets that I figured out in the design world. And I was just, I come to you and you just download them into my brain. This is perfect. <laughs> Isn't it funny how like sometimes we just need a, someone to hold a mirror up to us and be like, hey, all those things you're like helping other people with, you can do those for yourself too. It's okay. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. All right, sweet. Well, listen. Let's talk about, if you're ready, let's talk about my specifics and you can hopefully help me out with those. So first there's two. Um, number one is, this is the $15 CPM deal. This is with a top, top tier kind of notebook journal company, work with a lot of celebrities, stuff like that. They definitely have a huge marketing budget. And I did a first deal with them, which was for one sponsored reel, $15 CPM. And I knew even if it was just an average post for me, it was going to reach my goals in terms of what I wanted to make from it. But it ended up doing really well. It got 1.2 million views. Promotion isn't over. There's still maybe a week and a half or two weeks left. So I'll probably rack up some more. So somewhere around the 20K ballpark for one reel. That makes me happy. That's where I want to be. Obviously, the context now where CPM is inherently riskier model where sure the upside was great and in this instance i made much more than if i negotiated a flat rate i'm sure there's ways to negotiate it where you get the upside either way here's where we stand that reel went viral did really well you know 1.2 1.3 million impressions right now and now they want to i'll just read the email to you we love it so much that we're potentially considering working with you to promote it further once your 30 days end would you be open to us pushing this out from our social media accounts and or whitelisting from your account. Let me know if you have any previous experience with this type of partnership extension and if you have any thoughts slash feedback to share. I have no idea. I've never done it before. I don't know what to charge. I don't know what to offer. Help me. Got you. <laughs> all right. Well, first of all, this is super exciting. Um, and what I would be looking to do at this point is not just a simple extension of the partnership. It would be, yep. let me propose all these other things to you that we can do. And oh, by the way, of course, the partnership extension of this original asset is included in that. That would be instantly where my mind goes with this because the best time to forge an additional partnership is where you're at the pinnacle of, of the excitement, the peak of excitement feelings, of yeah, with the brand. And so let's talk about like dollars and cents, simple math of like how to calculate a compensated ag agreement um, for licensing, whitelisting, et cetera. I have a whole a video on my YouTube channel all around whitelisting and licensing and all that stuff and how much to charge. But generally the math is as follows. With licensing, you wanna look to charge 15% of the base deal size 
per 30-day period. If the deal was for $10,000, then you're going to be charging an incremental $1,500 per month of additional licensing. And so what licensing is, is that you're giving them the native asset, the video file, et cetera, so that they can put that on their social media and run ads with it or repost it, it, whatever. That's a difference between whitelisting. So whitelisting is where you're going to grant them access to the back end of your Facebook or Instagram um, and basically boost the posts, essentially. These ads will be running. It'll be your the post that you made natively, and it's going to just, they'll be able to select the audience that they want it to reach, targeting, ages, geo, et cetera. And so in a whitelisting scenario, that's much more valuable to the brand because think about your own viewer behavior. Like it's much more thumb stopping for a piece of content to be from a creator, from the creator's handle than it is for the brand's handle. Right. Um, And so in a scenario like that, you should be looking to charge 25% of the base deal size per 30 day period. Um, So that would be more like a $2,500 per month uh, scenario. In this scenario where there was no flat fee, associated with it. And it was a CPM based deal. It's a little bit more esoteric, but probably the way in which I would look to value that would be to whatever the promotion period is. I think you said there's another week and a half or so. Um, whatever that amount ultimately becomes Total. 20, 25 K yeah. or whatever, use that as the base deal size. Makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Um, and so just keep it simple as that. But again, what I would be looking to do candidly would be probably to either get on a call with them, start talking about what was it like, like, okay, this, this is what I would do. I'm going to go, I would go and I'm going to start mining the comments of that reel. Okay. And I am going to pull out, I'm going to do a sentiment analysis, a manual sentiment, sentiment analysis of that post. I'm going to dump all those comments. I'm going to, maybe, I, I don't know if you have a VA, but help, have a VA help you categorize all those comments. How many comments you got on that? A thousand? What, I haven't even looked. A couple thousand, no maybe. Um, so it's it's a, it's a finite amount of comments, but it'd be very worthwhile, I think, to go through and pick out, strip away all the emojis, and just like pick out the people who are like actually talking about the brand, talking about the product, commenting something that's useful. Okay, mm-hmm. and of those, you know, hundreds of comments or whatever, you're gonna pull through. You're gonna pull out, let's say, five insights. Two to three are gonna be very positive. Two to three are gonna be negative or neutral, and you're gonna say. Hey, I put together this post-campaign report. This is something I teach my program is I put together this post-campaign report where I'm going to give you the quantitative insights and analysis of this partnership that we did, but also a qualitative analysis of like, there was actually many people, not just one comment. There was 20 comments of people saying, oh, I wish you would have talked about this aspect of the product a little bit more, or I wish you would have shown me a little bit more about this or even a negative one. Like, I don't like that brand. I like this brand because of X, Y, Z reason. And so you come to them and say, this is a big opportunity here. Yes, we can absolutely boost this and that'll be part of this partnership, but I would love to make some additional content talking about these things that people are talking about to be able to overcome those objections from, from, Clearly, like, you you know, the whole psychology about overcoming objections. It's like you should be doing these in your sponsorships too. thinking about how you can craft the content to encourage more people to convert or sign up or buy it or whatever. And so I guarantee you, if you come back to them with this type of um, approach where you say, hey, here's some we have this conversation. Here's a bunch of packages, <laughs> right? Yeah. Package one is just the licensing, the whitelisting, et cetera. We can do that extended. But package two is going to be the licensing plus these other two reels or one reel or whatever, where we're going to be hitting on these other pain points that I identified. So, so this would probably be what I would do from, uh, you know, in this scenario. Let me ask you a quick question about package two, hypothetically, would this be an appropriate time to transition out of the CPM 
model and into some other kind of structure? One thing you'll find about me is that my preference whenever I'm interacting with partners after an initial partnership is always to let the good vibes roll. That's almost always my approach when it comes to these types of partnerships. My preference would have been actually that you didn't enter this partnership as on a CPM basis because you've set this precedent, right? But you have to look at it from their perspective. Like they, this is ideal, right? They, they got the results they're looking for. It's um, performed way beyond their expectations, which is amazing. And so any pitching them anything other than this for the second partnership is going to be harder to get it approved. Right. And so in my mind, again, even if you're going to be able to get this baseline level of performance that you expect, I would be looking to just keep the good vibes rolling. Like this X partnership. Sure. Yeah, we could do it on CPM. And yeah, maybe, maybe down the line, maybe the third, fourth, fifth partnership. If you start to develop a really good relationship, something more robust, then that's when it could make sense to say, Hey, let's talk about retainers. Let's talk about flat, you know, hybrid compensation, whatever it is that, that would be what I would be looking to do. Because again, like your goal is to just continue to make, you know, money from this from this scenario the other thing too that right. i would i would not be surprised um if this happens and i want you to i want you to come back and email me if this actually happens but it's yeah. very possible that they could come back and say hey, hey yeah we'd love to do another partnership but we need to cap it because we weren't expecting it to do so well and yes we'll honor this first deal but we got to cap it at 10k or 15k or whatever because like we've just blew through our marketing budget for 20 influencers or 15 influ 10 influencers or whatever on you. And we didn't expect that. So that could happen. If that happens, do I say sure, but well, you're going to have to pay me the capped amount as a guarantee. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, th I think that's totally reasonable. And I think that they wouldn't think that's too unreasonable. You know, like, again, it's like, how, how can you design something that's like aligned, that's mutually beneficial for everyone. So that could take the form of like coming back and saying like, yeah, I, I want to see 5K or 10K guaranteed and then maybe a less CPM on the amount above that or something. So it's like our incentives are aligned here. Sweet. All right. I'm sold on that. I feel like I can I can pitch this for sure. Let's talk about the other brand. So this is a little bit more. Um, this was an inbound email that I received. This is from a SaaS company that I don't use but I have discussed in my course and a lot of the people that take my course use, and it's a solution to a problem. It's basically software for building SOPs. Oh, I need that. Give me your affiliate yeah, link. Well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they reached yeah. out. Obviously I was interested upfront. Um, and then the second email was kind of like gauging what they wanted to do. So, you know, they they said, hey, we're this company, we have 350,000 users, blah, 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 we think you'd be a great fit. And I follow back and say, hey, you know, I've got this amount of Instagram followers, these are some campaigns I just did, they performed really well, here's some examples. They follow back up and they say, you know, we typically like to test with one TikTok to start. And I have 2000 followers on TikTok, my like TikTok account for all intents and purposes doesn't exist. So I don't really know. I know that they clearly have had a lot of success with TikTok influencers, which is why they want to go that route. But I feel like it's not going to be a good use of my time or their money to blow money <laughs> on my pretty much non-existent presence there. You know, I, I'm not, not on there. I'm not monitoring it. It's kind of just like a thing that exists, but no one uses. <laughs> so how would you like, how could I restructure this conversation to potentially direct them towards reels or some other kind of avenue? 
two things. Um, number one, one of the reasons why certain brands are very fixated on certain deliverables or certain platforms or a certain scope of work, um, inflexible to considering other platforms. Like, you know, I've got 250K on Reels. Like, why would we not do it over here? It's, it's, yeah. It'd be totally, uh, you know, it's just as good over there. One of the most important things to understand is that the reason that they may be inflexible is because their hands are tied. Let's say it's an agency, because I ran an agency for many years, and this is oftentimes what happened, is that we would sell through a program structure to the client before we had all the partners on board. So we would basically, you know, have a soft list of like who we think would be a good fit for it, right? But what we were actually selling through to the client, which was the brand, was a number of deliverables. That was the that was what we sold. We said, okay, you pay us 250K or whatever, then that's gonna get you, let's say 112 pieces of content across 10 influencers, here's the platform strategy, et cetera. And so there's like, allocated number of posts on specific platforms because that's what the that's what was sold through to the brand. And this also happens internally brand directly too. So like they get this approval from their marketing team or from their boss or whatever that like we want to have a TikTok strategy. Like that's what we're doing. And so the first thing to like realize and acknowledge is that don't get frustrated if if they just simply will not budge and are not willing to entertain Instagram. It's likely because of the thing I just described is that they have these mm -hmm constraints that you wouldn't have known and there's no way that you're gonna ever work around that. Uh, so that's number one. Number two is that don't automatically assume that just because you only have 2000 followers on TikTok doesn't mean they'd still be interested in working with you because part of this structure of how they usually work with TikTokers could be that they just run Spark ads with the with the post that you make. And so they don't give a crap how many followers you have. What they care about is who you are. They care about your name and likeness. They care about the lane, the content vertical that you're in. Because remember, there's a limited supply of rich out there on the internet, right? And so don't immediately dismiss yourself as like, oh, like it's only gonna get 100 views. Like what the hell? Why would they pay me 20 grand or 10 grand? Like, yeah. cause it's 20 views. Like that's, that's again, it's because they wanna run ads. So again, don't dismiss it, right? You like, you gotta probe deeper. You gotta ask questions. Like, tell me about your TikTok strategy. Is like, are you boosting this content with other partners? Like uh, this type of thing. And so. That could be your lane to then upsell and add on, you know, we can repurpose this, you know, we just syndicate this to my Instagram, like no problem. That can be part of another package or whatever, right? Um, and so again, like I just wouldn't dismiss it. I just have a further conversation. Sweet. In terms of ballpark rates, I think this is one area where I don't really know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, where the, where the hell do people figure out what to charge for these things? So I did another IG post that was one carousel okay. and I charged nine grand. Okay. And I basically just made talked to a couple people that I knew <laughs> and made it up, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that felt good. I, yeah. I was happy to make $9,000. It felt for... good to make it up, Rich? Come on, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah nine grand is sweet. So, so it was like, I call that comp competitive pricing. That's that's I have pricing styles that I talk about. So, um, so first of all, since you're going to join my course, you'll get access to my pricing calculator. Duh. Oh, make so, my life easier. Thank uh, you. You're going to make your life so much easier. Um, but really, at the end of the day, it's twofold. There's two buckets: campaign goals, right? Understanding if is if is a conversion, repurposing, or awareness. That's going to factor into your pricing, as well as what I call the do rule, which is deliverables, usage rights, exclusivity. So those are the two major levers or two major groups of levers that you need to factor in when you're pricing your deals. You know, it depends your 
impressions, you know, on your Instagram, if it's Instagram, um, if it's a newsletter, you know, it depends on your opens and, you know, there's all these factors, these flags that I consider in, in my calculator. But again, it's that whole other thing of like, you can't just price in a vacuum. You have to understand what they're trying to accomplish. If they're trying to go for brand awareness, you can be way more aggressive in your negotiations and your pricing than it is conversions because they're going to need to see like dollars and cents ROI. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so I mean, I, probably people ask you how much I charge all the time yeah. about a variety of specific aspects. And then you tell them, <laughs> and then you tell them that it depends on a million factors. And I can't really tell, I don't even know if you could tell me is nine for an Instagram carousel. Like where does that fit in the ballpark? So, that like um, pull up your Instagram, middle? pull up your Instagram right. and tell me how many impressions that post got. Isn't it better for me to whitelist because they're basically driving traffic to my page as well? This is a great question. Uh, a lot of people think, oh yeah, all these new eyeballs on my content and all these new people following me will almost never result in more followers or more engagement. Like a lot of people get excited about the idea of exposure and all that stuff. Um, but in my experience, it's like, how, how many times have you seen like a whitelisted or sponsored post in the feed? Have you like engaged and followed that person? Like probably never, right? Um, uh, no, but if it was someone who already followed me, mm -hmm. um, that could be... I don't know. Like yeah, but one of the reasons that they're a big part of the reason that they're wanting to whitelist is so that they can run it to people who don't follow you. <laughs> That's, right, and and right. so and so these are people who have no exposure to who you are. So um, right, so this one had seventy one thousand impressions. Seventy one thousand impressions. All right. So let's. I'm going to share my screen here. This is my brand oh, deal. Sponsored by Notion. So this is. I am not sponsored by Notion, but <laughs> maybe they should sponsor both of us. Actually. So this is my brand deal pricing calculator um, that you'll love because it's in Notion. And so what I was talking about again was how important the the campaign goal is. Okay. Because again, like your suggested CPM based on the impressions of that particular post are going to change based on the goal. Because again conversion campaigns are going to command a much lower CPM generally than a brand awareness campaign. So uh, give me some insight. Do you know whether they were looking for awareness conversions like conversion. for this conversion? Um, they were basically like their LTV okay. generally, because I was having a conversation with, with them is about like 250 bucks for a mm -hmm. customer. So they felt like the 9,000 based on how many views it generates would definitely be something where it would be profitable for them. Cool. Okay. So it was conversion focused. Um, so they, it was definitely conversion. they did their, their napkin math and they determined that, you know, of the percentage of people who saw it, that, you know, ultimately they, maybe they have a free plan and then they convert into like a paying customer, 250 bucks. Um, and so you said, what, what was it? 70,000 impressions? Uh, yeah. 72. Okay. And so this exactly was, this was a photo carousel. Yep. Okay. Um, well, what do you consider photo? It wasn't photos. It was text, like an Instagram, uh, Twitter thread carousel thing. Got you. I guess you'd call that a photo. Right. 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 Okay. So yeah, we, we could say photo. Um, was there any rights? No. Okay. So I think you got, you know, you charge really well. So like a conversion focused campaign for 72,000 impressions with even let's say one month of exclusivity or whatever photo carousel, um, like this is saying 2,300. Um, mm. and again, though, what this doesn't, the, the, the helpfulness of the calculator oftentimes is give you a baseline because the other thing to really keep in mind is that when you're in an even more of a lucrative niche, like you are, that oftentimes allows you to command higher rates. The other thing too, that uh, like is important to consider is that this was 72,000 impressions on this post. But when you are trying to figure out your rates directionally for a new post, what you have to do is utilize your 
impressions from your past posts, not like, cause you don't know how many of the impressions the post that you're going to do with them is going to be. Um, and so, um, that's the number that you'll type in here. So you'll basically take your last 10 posts, let's say removing outliers, anything that went viral. Um, and you're going to take, let's say an average impressions of what you'll see, uh, across those posts. But the other thing that I think is really, really important to, to remember here is that remember we talked about the campaign goal is that let's say it is a brand awareness campaign. Those rates jump, jump up dramatically. Again, your impressions are saying the same, but this is their goal. So it's in alignment with their goal and their top level awareness that they're looking to looking to reach. And so this is why my calculator is very different than a lot of them, a lot of others out there is that uh, you cannot price yourself in a vacuum. Beautiful. Beautiful. I have a question about just the impressions real quick. Yeah. Um, all right. So if I took the last 10 posts, for instance, that I did, generally what I've seen, I imagine you're aware of this is unless it's like really good or you like sneak in the sponsorship in a really creative way, sponsored stuff tends to perform worse than just organic, regular, my day-to-day content. Right. Um, do they know that going into it or should it like, is it more valuable for them to get a 10 post running average impressions versus like how my past promotions have performed? Um, I think like it's a conversation like they're not dumb. They they realize this even as as everyday consumers, they engage with sponsored, they, everyone engages with sponsored content, probably less than uh, a, a post that's not sponsored. And so what I would be looking to do would be to be including some of those sponsored posts in an, in the average. So maybe it's maybe you expand it to tw- your last 20 posts or 30 posts or whatever so that you have a, a representative sample, regardless of whether it's sponsored or organic, um, that this represents like you know, a, a good number to them out of abundance of caution. If you want to have that conversation with them, I think that's, that can only be a positive thing to just say that like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to share some example posts with you. I just gave you an average of my last sponsored post, And if that's what you'd feel comfortable using as a baseline to price it, like that's totally reasonable. Cool. Cool. All right. Sweet. Um, you've answered all my questions. Great job. <laughs> love to hear it. So what were some of your big takeaways from the conversation? You know, I think that number one, sponsorships are something that would be cash flowing enough to be a viable part of my strategy. And I think the next step was really just committing to building a system to initiate them, you know, not only when they come inbound, but also outbound. And honestly, just the the way to have the conversations with them where it's aligned on their incentives, not mine, right? So it's both, it's both of our incentives together. And uh, yeah, man, I'm excited. And I think these specific negotiation points um, around these two deals are really, really helpful. Honestly, I knew when I booked this with you that if I could just get the answer to my first question that I gave you, this would pay for itself. So even if you gave me no other information, I feel like I've already won. (laughs) Love it. Well, thanks, man. This was a blast. Hey, you're, uh, you're still here. Well, that's pretty cool. I appreciate that. I got a really small ask, would you rate this podcast wherever you're currently listening to it? A friend of a friend told me that positive ratings are the number one way to help get your podcast in front of new listeners. So will you do me a solid rate it? And then, you know what, actually screenshot the rating, DM it to me at creator wizard. And in return, I will, you know what, I'm going to sing you a song of your choosing deal. I, and I used to be in a metal band and I'm classically trained in opera. So you're probably going to want to rate the podcast. Thanks again.